Thessalonians chapter 4, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So good to see you here tonight. Our discipleship classes are making their way in, and we're glad you're here tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, fellas, I read the scriptures tonight, beginning with verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also uh, them, them which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." Notice verse 18, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You notice tonight we're looking at the next big event on the prophetic calendar of God. And uh, we, we know this passage, if you've read it any, at least once, you know this passage is speaking about the rapture of the, of the believers, and that's a wonderful thing. The word rapture is not found in this passage, but we see a phrase here that we're, where that word rapture is derived from. You'll notice in verse 17, it's that phrase that says caught up, and it's the Greek word harpazo, which we'll talk about a little bit later tonight. But we're looking at a day that we should greatly anticipate and be looking forward to. In fact, it would not surprise me. It'd be wonderful tonight, even while we're here in the service, if it happened right here then and now, okay? That would be wonderful there. But I want to preach a message tonight entitled The Big Day. And it's a big day for us. It's a big day for everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. And we're just praying tonight that if nothing else, it would be a great refresher, perhaps for some who are new to the faith. It will just in encourage you about what the rapture is all about. And for some of us who may need to know a little bit more about the rapture than what we've studied, it will help us to understand the Bible and what the Bible says about that. Now, Father, tonight, bless our service. Speak to our hearts. Awaken us in conscience. Stir up our hearts. The Bible says to stir up your pure minds, and I pray this evening that our minds would be pure, and as they're purified, I pray they'd be stirred up. I pray, God, tonight that you would help us to just be focused on this matter of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though for many here tonight who are seasoned Christians, who are familiar with this doctrine, they've heard it preached, perhaps some have taught it, Lord, we need a refresher tonight. We never can let it grow old or crusty on us, and tonight may you touch us. Perhaps there's some of us tonight that are Maybe there's something going on in our lives where we're just the, the preaching on this doctrine will help us to get recalibrated. And then maybe for some tonight that are without Christ, maybe this evening this would be the message that will stir them to have a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Whatever it may be, God, we pray that you do a great work in our hearts. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most expensive, in fact, the most expensive wedding that ever occurred in, our, in the last hundred years was the wedding of Prince Charles to Diana back in 1981. I don't know how many of you were alive at that time or even born for that, but I remember my wife and I, I think we'd only been married for, let me think, this was, in, I forgot what year it was, but we were, uh, no, it was right before we got married. We got married in 1982, and they got married in 1981. That wedding was, was personally witnessed by 3,500 people in attendance there at, at the palace and was viewed on television 
television by over 750 million people, if you can imagine that. The wedding itself, this is back in 1981, cost an astronomical $110 million. How many think if we just got five million of that, we could pay off some debt, amen, you know? But $110 million for that wedding. Of course, tragically, that wedding, their marriage did not last very long. But uh, truly, if there was ever a, a marriage that was considered a big day, that was a big day. The big day refers to special day in someone's life. Uh, most specifically, we use this to refer to a day of someone's wedding. Now, we kind of took that term and coined it for a special outreach day we have. On June 9th, we have our... Um our big day where we have our public safety officials coming here. We've got representatives of the San Leandro Police Department and Union City Police Department and we've got representatives from the Alameda County Sheriff's Office and representatives from the Alameda County Fire Department. I think we've got some disaster preparedness people coming and maybe one or two other agencies coming. And we're excited about them being here but it's a big day that we just get all this equipment here and these dignitaries and we get to acknowledge them and preach the gospel to them and uh, we get to provide some folks to come to church and hear the gospel and, and as far as I'm concerned anytime somebody gets saved that's a big day, amen? And uh, we, we just recognize that. And when something great happens in somebody's life, well, as far as uh, victorious Christian living, that's a big day there. But for most people, we refer to the big day generically about the day of their wedding. And uh, this year, we have four engaged couples that are anticipating their big day coming up very soon. One in July, one in August, one in September, one in October. I'm still praying there'll be one in November, one in December as well, so we can finish out the year strong. And uh, we're thankful for that. And there was a time we had a lot of singles, and now we're, getting, we're seeing a lot more marrieds, and that's a good thing. And so so we're looking forward to that. Now tonight, notice our passage scripture. We're looking at what I would call a very special big day for the Christian. It is a day when the greatest bridegroom of all eternity will come for his bride, the local New Testament church. We're studying the scriptures tonight about the doctrine of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. Sometimes it's referred to in theological circles as eschatology, the study of things to come. And this is such an important doctrine that you'll notice this if you you want to take note of this. It's such an important doctrine that reference to the second coming of Christ is found in one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament. Think about that for just a minute. One out of every 30 verse New Testament, we find reference there. There are 260 chapters in the Bible in the New Testament and 318 references in the New Testament chapters about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 23 books of the New Testament have some reference concerning the second coming of Christ. Jesus himself said, I will come again. Again, you'll notice in, in Titus 2.13, if you'll turn there, Titus 2.13, one of my favorite passages, the Apostle Paul made mention of this, and he gives reference to it, defines it. In Titus 2.13, it says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And some words I want you to hone in on, first of all, the phrase, the blessed hope. Now, if there's no other word, that, other words we use to describe the rapture, we should use the term, the blessed hope. It's what we look forward to, amen? And the word blessed has the idea of happiness. We're looking forward to meeting Jesus in the air. You'll notice the phrase, the word looking. We're to be looking, not just waiting, but looking for the coming of our Lord. You ask any bride as she's counting down the day, bride-to-be, she's counting down the day to her wedding, she's looking forward to that day. Any groom who's looking forward to getting married to his bride is looking forward to that day. I was telling the married couples last night, I assembled all four of them together. I was just trying to save on my time a little bit there and had all four of them together for the last two sessions. Brother AJ, this was great. Had all four of them there. They're all spread out there and just going through our last session for two of the couples there. And I was talking 
to them about just the day when the wedding day comes up. I said, guys, now, I, you know, you're probably used to your, your bride right now, but on that day, she's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. She's going to have all that makeup on, and she's going to have that wedding dress on, and she's all made to look pretty. And I think God just does something, especially for Christian ladies. I think God just does something special for a Christian lady. Even when I'm standing there, I'm looking, I said, my goodness, this guy is, he's, he's marrying, he's marrying, he's marrying way out of his league here. Amen, you know? And uh, she's coming down the aisle, and I said, you're going to be looking down to her, and she's going to be looking at you, and it, you're just going to, you're just going to want to just grab each other and run out of there without even doing the vows. Amen, you know? But uh, on the big day there, it's a wonderful, it's going to be a wonderful day. Jesus comes for his church. Now, write this down tonight. The second coming of Christ will be in two stages. We use the phrase second coming to refer generically to two phases of the, of the coming Christ. It's in two sequences. The first stage is what we're reading right here. It's called the rapture. Uh, we call it when Jesus comes for us. Notice here in verse, uh, verse 15 and 16, the dead in Christ shall arise. 16, 17. And then 17, we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. The rapture is a time when we're caught up to be with the Lord in the air. He's coming for us. Now, I was reading Kenneth Wee years ago. If you have, you don't have any books, some of you guys who are students of Scripture, you ought to get some of Kenneth Weiss' books and just kind of read through that. It'll help you to grow in the Lord. Now, he makes this mention about the rapture. I read this many, many years ago before I got called into the ministry. He believed, as he was doing his study, that, that Jesus might descend about the 6,000 foot level because Mount Olympus was about, about 6,000 feet up. He believed just because of his study that Jesus would descend the 6,000 foot level and that's how we would ascend up. Now, I don't necessarily give credence to that because the, the Bible really doesn't say that that, and I think it's wrong to interject or add something to what Scripture doesn't say, but I thought that's kind of a good thought he had. But here's the thing. Jesus, when he comes in the rapture, is not going to touch planet earth. His feet will not touch the ground. He's going he's to descend from the third heaven. He's going to go through the second heaven. He's going to enter to what we call the firmament, into our first heaven, and somewhere there up in the sky, you and I are going to meet him. It's going to be great, man. We're going to go up. If you ever want to be Superman, that's the time you're going to do it. Amen? If you ever want to fly in the air, that's the time it's going to happen. And so we're going to meet Jesus in there. That's, that's, the, that's the rapture. Now, after the rapture, there are seven years that follow that. Seven of the worst, terrible years planet Earth has ever had. Now, you keep your seatbelt on. Lord willing, in the fall, I might start a series on Sunday mornings. Uh, preaching through the book of Revelation. First of all, I think it'll help our church, amen? And I think we need to go through some prophet, prophetical preaching and just understand what's going to happen. And, and it takes us right into the first three chapters about the, about the church, and we need to hear about that. And then we'll get into prophecy there. But if you read Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 18, it deals with, with all the events that transpire in that seven-year tribulation. Now, if you read some of that, it's just pretty frightening. I mean, you, you're talking about an apocalyptic event. I mean, it, it is, it is worth than any words can describe. You're going to have over one-third of the world population will die during that time. There will be, there'll be, there'll be persecution of those who get saved during that time. There will be pestilences and things happening. I mean, you talk about global warming. Forget, you can do everything you want for global warming. God's going to remove his hand off this world, and it's not going to be global warming. It's going to be a global hothouse around here. Amen? I mean, things are going to happen. It's going to be a very terrible time during planet Earth there. And of course, the economies will be upside down, and a one-world ruler will come up. Well, at the end of that that seven-year period time, the world will be in such a hateful mood towards Jesus Christ. They're in a hateful mood towards the Jews, and uh, the, the world will assemble. The armies of the world will assemble in this big, vast area called the Valley of Megiddo, and while they're there in this area of Valley of Megiddo, Jesus, well, the second coming of Christ will occur. Now, this is phase two. The rapture is phase one. Phase two is the second coming. Phase one, we could, Jesus comes for us. Phase two, Jesus comes with us. Aren't you glad about that? Amen? We come with him. We're part of the 
armies of heaven, including the angels and the redeemed of all ages, we come together with Jesus, and there Jesus is going to do battle with all those people against him. He doesn't even have to lift a finger. He just speaks a word. And listen, eye, eyeballs are burned out of their sockets, and flesh falls off their bones. And you said, where is that at? Read Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14. It's right there. And you read about that, and it's just a horrendous time. But Jesus sets his feet on the on the Mount of Olives there, and then as he does so, he judges the nations at that time, and the sheep and goat nations, and Jesus brings in his thousand-year reign. As he brings in his thousand-year reign, he's going to take the Antichrist who's there, and the beast, and, and the, be the, 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 the Antichrist who's called the beast, and the false prophet in them, and he's going to cast them into the, in the lake of fire with Satan. Satan was in the lake of fire. Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and then after that thousand-year period, Satan will be let loose for a little period of time, and then at that, then Jesus will cast him into the lake of fire, and then and we'll find that at that same time, there will be the great white throne judgment of, of all unbelievers throughout the ages. Now, we see two phases. The rapture involves those of us who are saved. If you're not saved tonight, it's good to get saved tonight. Because if Jesus came right now, you'd be left behind. But listen, tonight, when we consider that, we should not be walking around with smiles on our face and thinking very smugly. Because anyone who's going to go through that seven-year tribulation period of time, it's going to be awful for them. And listen, we tonight, as we think about that, and we think about the second coming of Christ, you want to be part of that group that comes with him back for that second coming when he establishes kingdom here on earth. Now notice tonight our focus this evening is in verses 13 to 18 on the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we get into the study here a little bit more in 1 Thessalonians 5 and especially in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2 we'll look a little bit more at the tribulation we'll look a little bit more at the beast we'll look a little bit more at what happens there what happens to how do people get saved all those things during that time. But tonight I want to focus on the encouragement and the comfort that verse 18 speaks about, and that is about the rapture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice in this passage, it's all-encompassing in what he's saying here. And notice tonight, as we go through this, we have to see three things. Number one, would you notice we, the Lord, the, the Lord, if you would, notice if you would tonight, life, and it's closing. In verses 13 and 14, Paul is addressing because there's a burden. Now remember, the believers at Thessalonica, Paul spent a short period of time with them, but Paul indoctrinated them greatly in the Word of God. Not only that, he sent Timothy and Silas back there to teach them. And perhaps under, under just very, very close protected circumstances, they taught them the Word of God. This was a well-taught church. We read about that because constantly Paul talks about how he referred to something, how he taught them something from the Word of the Lord. And these believers wrote to, wrote to Paul, notice in verses 13 to 14, because they were grieving the loss of loved ones. Look at it if you would, please. For what I would, he said in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now these believers were concerned. They had loved ones that passed on before them. Anytime you have a loss of a loved one, it hurts. It's a grievous situation there. I don't care if you're saved, if the loved one, the pastor was saved, or if they're not saved. It's very grievous. It's very hurtful. I always tell people this. The hardest thing about a passing of a loved one is the separation because you're not see them any longer. And there's just the way God wired us as individual spiritual beings that when someone passed away, there's a grieving. There's there's a hurt, there's a hollow, there's an emptiness. Something's left us there. And just the fact that the person's gone from this life, it hurts us immensely there. And so these believers were writing to Paul, and they said, Paul, what about mama, and what about papa, and what about grandma, and what about grandpa, and what about my brother, and what about my sister? I mean, they've gone on from this life. What about them? And so Paul is writing to them. He's giving them counsel about the death of the believer. Now, we must remember this. When death occurs, the soul is separated from the body. James said this, the, the, the body without the 
spirit is dead. So the soul is separated from the body at the time of death. The soul, now we must understand this, when death occurs, it is instantaneous when the soul leaves. For a person who's not saved, they go instantaneously to a terrible place called hell. There is no purgatory. There is no waiting period. There is no transitional thing. If a person's not saved, they leave this life and they go immediately into hell. But for a person that's saved, they go immediately up to heaven to be with the Lord. Now notice some things about this closing for us. Look at verses 13 and 14. Notice some things that we must take account of. Number one, there's the reality of death. There's the reality of death. Notice Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed to men once to die. Once to die. I read the story about a funeral for a man who had passed away. They did the service and the pallbearers assembled on both sides. Three on one side, three on the other. The funeral director in the front. Another funeral director at the back. They want to make sure they carried this right. They pick, up the, they pick up the casket. They're walking as they did so. They turned the corner. They accidentally had the casket accidentally bumped a wall. As they bumped a the wall, they heard a groaning. Went, and they're looking at each other. said, what was that? And they heard, Ugh. They realized it came out of the coffin. They immediately set the coffin back down. They opened it up, found out the guy was still alive. They thought, wow, you know, he didn't die. Well, they took the guy out and he lived for another 10 years. But then he contracted some kind of illness and he died. As they did the funeral service and they had the pallbearers get up, the pallbearers picked it up again, and there was a funeral director in the front, funeral director in the back. They picked it up. The wife got up and says, be careful not to hit the wall again. It's a point a man wants to die. Amen? And we look at this story here. Notice some things here about this here. Ecclesiastes 3.2 says, it's a time to be born and a time to die. Now, let's face reality. We only have one shot at life. One shot. When death occurs, everything stops. There's the reality of death. We, you know, someone said this, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And we must understand that life has many, many things. You know, I, I get these blurts, you know, every day about maybe an accident that's happened on 880 or 580, places like that. And they had, a, they had a one the other day just about a motorcycle, motorcyclist who got sideswiped and he died when they found him. I mean, just things like that. You know, it's just very frightening. You read about the news events and things that happen there, about people that pass on. It's very, very frightening. There's the reality of death. But notice in verses 13 to 14, we notice that death is a rest. There's rest in death. He says, he says this, what I, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, Paul is talking about believers who pass away. There's comfort and hope for a believer who passes away. And he calls, he, he, he likens what happens here as sleep. Notice verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also, uh, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. He describes death for the believer as sleep, as being asleep. In Matthew 9, 24, Jesus referenced to that when he talked about, about Jairus' daughter. He said unto them, give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth, and they laughed into scorn. You know, one, one wonderful thing that the Lord just gives us a description for the believer, and he talks to these grieving believers at Thessalonica that, they, that these loved ones who had passed on before them, that they were asleep. It's a time of rest for the body. But notice, if you would, death for us is not only reality, and death is not only a rest, but death is a relocation. Praise God for that. Amen. It's a relocation. Notice 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. I love quoting these verses. These are great verses to read or quote at a funeral service. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice that phrase, a lively hope. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now what is heaven for us? What is death for us? It's a relocation. 
We're relocating from this place, the land of the dying, to the land of the living. Amen? We're relocating from a place where there's no hope to a place where there's hope. Relocating to a place where there's decay and corruption to a place where there is no decay and there is no corruption. Praise God, we are now, we are absent from the body, but praise God, we're present with the Lord. Amen? It's a relocation for every believer. The voice of Jesus Christ will call us into his presence. Notice Revelation 4.1. And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. I believe for every believer when the time comes, only that believer who's in the shadow of death will hear those words and will know very clearly it's our Lord speaking, and they'll know clearly, come up hither. It's an invitation. It's a call. It's a beckoning. It says, come up hither. You know, you look at your little kids. We're just developing their little baby kids or toddlers. They're going to walk, and they can recognize their mother and father. They say, come here, Billy. Come here, Susie. And they come running to you there. They know that word. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. Do you know, for every one of us, we're going to be in such a state spiritually, God has to just kill off the old mortal flesh. But listen, the spirit is still alive, and the spirit is going to be quickened by God. And listen, as you, we hear the voice of God. He says, come up here. They we're brought up to the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm reminded tonight in Luke 16, 22, that when a believer passes on, God God sends his angels to give a personal escort to that believer to into the very presence of God. I'm just saying tonight, thank God tonight, it's a reality. It's a rest. It's a relocation. But notice something else tonight. Death for the believer is a release. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Notice this he says here. When someone that we love has gone on to be with the Lord, we know they're saved. He says that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now notice this, there's going to be a release. When we leave this life, it's a release. It's a release from the things we're used to. I'm thankful for Revelation. Then Revelation tells us two words I love to bring out in every funeral service. And those two words are no more. Aren't you glad tonight? No more death. Aren't you glad tonight? No more sorrow. Aren't you glad tonight? No more cancer. Aren't you glad tonight? No more disease. Aren't you glad tonight? No more stroke. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more crime. The Bible says in Revelation 21.4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Some of you might have the books. If you do, just be careful that you don't run into his Calvinism, but John Owens was a great Puritan writer emphasize much about holiness and those old Puritans knew something about living for God and sanctification, holiness, but they just got a little bit over, over if you would, in terms of just the stuck on the Calvinism stuff, but John Owens, as he was getting ready, as he was dying, his secretary wrote in a journal to a friend of his, she said, John said, I'm still in the land of the living. Mr. Owens saw that in his journal, he called his secretary over, he said, stop, change and say, I'm yet in the land of the dying, but I hope soon to be in the land of the living. And beloved, it's a relocation, but it's not just a relocation, it's a release from this old body of sin. Thank God we get a new body, and thank God we go to a place of glorification, and thank God we'll be just like our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible Bible says. Someone said this, death is not extinguishing the light from the Christian, it's putting out the lamp because the dawn has come. Thank God tonight we see life in its closing. But number two tonight, let's go down a little bit further in verses 15 to 18. Number two, would you notice the Lord and his coming. We see tonight the doctrine of the rapture, the Lord and his coming. Those of you going through discipleship right now, what you're going to see tonight as we go through this, this will systematically give you an overview of that section dealing with the second coming of Christ or the rapture 
picture there. Now notice some things as we consider this. Paul talks about this word being caught up with him. Now we know that, that believers who die in the Lord, their soul is taken up to heaven, but their bodies are laid at rest. Their bodies are in the ground. Their bodies are laid to rest. What happens to all the, what, what's going to happen at the Lord's coming? Well, let's look at some of the things that happen here. Number one, there's the certainty of our Lord's coming. There's the certainty of the Lord's coming. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Amen? There's a certainty of that, okay? Jesus spoke about that in John 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Notice, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive him to myself. There where I am, there you may be also. Jesus speaks about heaven. He speaks about heaven being a mansion. He speaks about heaven being his father's house. He speaks about heaven being a wonderful place. And he says, I'm going there. But he says, I'm going to come again. And I'm going to come again to receive you to myself. Now, Jesus himself emphatically over and over again spoke about coming again for us. He wanted us to know it's a reality. Just as much as D D Douglas MacArthur, when he left the Philippines, he told the people in the Philippines, the Filipino people, I, will re I shall come again. I shall come again. And a few years later, he returned. He says, I have come again. And listen, Jesus will come again. It could be any time. It may be morning, maybe noon, maybe noon time. It will be soon. Jesus is coming again there. The angel spoke of it in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. John spoke of it in 1 John 2, 28. James spoke of it in James 5, 7. Peter spoke of it in 1 Peter 1, 7 and 2 Peter 3. Jude spoke about it in Jude 21. Paul spoke of it recurrently throughout all of his epistles. You'll have reference by Paul of the rapture and the coming of Christ in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians and in Philippians and in Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Hey, beloved, it's a certainty Jesus is coming again. It's a certainty. But number two, notice there's a celebration. Amen? It's a celebration. Notice in verses 16 to 17, the celebration the coming of the Lord will be one of great jubilee and celebration. Listen, there's nothing sad about Jesus coming, amen? It's great for us. It's going to be wonderful. It'll be a time of celebration. What is that celebration? Well, remember, Paul is writing to address the grievances and concerns of believers who had loved ones that passed on ahead of them. Will I see them again? What will happen? What about all these types of things there, okay? Number one, it's going to be a time of resurrection, Notice in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Notice this, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who preceded us, they get, they, they get to go up first. Isn't that a blessing, amen? They get to call it to be with the Lord ahead of time. Their bodies get to go because their souls are already there. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now Jesus spoke much when he was on earth about resurrection. Daniel prophesied about resurrection. I don't have time to get into it, but Daniel talked about the resurrection of the dead. And Daniel chapter 12. Notice what Jesus said in John 5, verses 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. There again, he'll, he'll come with a shout. I believe it'll be that phrase, come up hither. He'll come, they'll hear his voice. They'll know it's the voice of Jesus Christ here. And verse 29 says, and they shall come forth, they that have done good into the resurrection life, and then later on, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Now the bodies of the dead 
in Christ, as we'll read in 1 Corinthians 15, shall be raised incorruptible. Whatever is remaining in that grave, or if there was a cremation, or maybe the body was destroyed in a fire or something like that, listen, it'll be raised incorruptible. Whatever happened, you have to remember this, it'll be raised incorruptible. Now, I get asked this question all the time, and I'm going to give you the answer. I get asked the question when someone passes, Pastor, should we do a burial? Because the family wants to do a cremation. Is it a burial or cremation? Is cremation unbiblical? Well, if you start off there, the very first mention of a burial happens to be there when Abraham bought a cave in Machpelah for, for his wife, Sarah. He buried her. The patriarchs were buried in that same cave. The Bible, the Bible references burial. Now, I believe God gives dignity to the body, but he doesn't worship the body. The body's the temple of the Holy Ghost while we're alive, but it's dead. When it's dead, it's just a shell there. I, th- I believe this. God, if you can afford it and you can do it, I think I would give, I would give preference to a, 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 a burial because I believe it's the right thing. I think we find that throughout the Bible. But you'll find, is there anything wrong with the cremation? Well, cremation, remember, finds its roots back in paganism. Pagans burned the bodies of their, of, their, of their loved ones back in those days. But now you get into a place in the world where there's land shortage and there's basically no graves and there's many countries where they do cremation and things like that. Does that mean that if, if, a, if a loved one's cremated that you're pagan? Not necessarily. But here's what I want you to understand. Whether it's buried in the ground which will turn to dust or whether it's cremated made it, or whether the body was destroyed somehow, mangled in a car accident or something like that. Listen, at the resurrection, it's all going to be the same, amen? At the resurrection, it'll be glorified. That's the thing you have to remember. There'll be a glorification of the body. We put on a new body. Look at, look at with me at Philippians chapter 3 for just a moment. I want you to see that, please. Philippians chapter 3. And this encourages you think about the body, okay? Because as we get older, I mean, things change. As you get older, things don't operate the same, amen? You get older, whatever color hair you have when you were 16, you get to my age, which is 100, and never mind your, 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 your whatever it is, and, and uh, it changes there, okay? And, and things are not the same. But notice what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So there'll be a glorification. These bodies will be changed. The grave and the tomb cannot hold back the bodies of the deceased in Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? The tomb and the grave cannot hold back the bodies of the deceased in Jesus Christ. Those buried, cremated, and lost in tragedy will all be raised up to be with the Lord. So why is the celebration? The dead in Christ shall rise first. There'll be a time of resurrection. Notice verse 17. There's the time of rapture. Then after they go up. Now, this is all happening in the twinkling of an eye. you got to imagine, this is fast. Then, we which are alive and remain, okay? That's you and me. That happened right now. We are alive and remain. Then, we which are alive and remain. Now, remember, he's talking to believers that are grieving. Because they're, they're excited in verse 16. Great, Uncle Bob's going up. Great, my papa went up, and daddy went up, and mommy went up. Then he says, but what about us? And he says, then... We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now notice the phrase there. The we starts off, the we which are alive remain. And then notice as we get to the latter part of verse 17, we shall ever be with the Lord. Who's the we? That's us and the dead in Christ. That's everybody there. That's a great, that's a wonderful time. It's a time of rapture. Look at the phrase caught up. The word caught up in the English is two words. In the Greek, it's one word. It's the word harpazo. Now, the word harpazo, I think, is used something like 13 or 14 times, maybe 17 times in the New Testament. It literally means to be seized or snatched out of a fiery circumstance, to be seized or to snatch. For instance, notice John 10, 28. 
John 10, 28, Jesus said this, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. Do you know the word pluck was an interesting word they used? It also had the connotation of being snatched away, okay? Notice something else here. If you go over there, to, it speaks about Philip in Acts 8, 39. After the Ethiopian eunuch got saved and baptized, the Bible says that the, that the Spirit came and caught away Philip. That means he was harpazzled. He was taken out. He was caught away. Uh, there's another passage there. Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 and 4. He speaks about how he saw the, vi the, the, the vision of the third heaven. Remember that? If you study those verses very carefully, he says, I saw one caught up with the Lord. He's talking about the air that someone was caught up. He may have been him, that maybe God gave him a preview of the rapture, which is why he could, he could speak about it so colorfully here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, notice this here in Jude one twenty three. It tells us that we are to, it talks about those who are brand snatched out of the burning. It's talking about being snatched out. Why? It may be before the rapture comes that the world conditions, as far as we're concerned, will be very, very terrible, very, very bad. It's leading into the tribulation time. There may be persecution. It may be difficulty. And, and that's why he wrote about this, about the imminent return of Christ. It may be, it will be very difficult. And it's almost like being someone about to fall into the fire, someone grabbing that person, snatching them, and pulling them out of the fire. So that's what he's talking about there. We're pulled out of peril, perilous situation. That's why Jesus said, I will return and receive unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So why is it a time of celebration? Well, it's a time of resurrection. It's a time of rapture. But notice verse 17, again, it's a time of reunion. Amen? Time of reunion. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them. The cloud. Hey, reunion time. Amen? Amen? I'll see my daddy up there. I'll, listen, I'm going I'm to see a lot of relatives we've led to Christ. I'll see my father-in-law, my mother-in-law up there. I'll see my, my brother-in-law, uh, uh, brother Peter. I'll see him up there. I'm gonna see, we're going to see a lot of them. I think about a lot of our loved ones who've passed on in this church. I mean, we've had a lot of funerals in our church. We could, we'll have a reunion time with them. And every time we have a service, I, end, I'll say, I always say this to them. I say, I'll see you up in heaven. We'll meet there again. It'll be a great reunion time. Hey, listen, I got to shake hands one time with Dr. John R. Rice. But we get a reunion time. I got to shake hands with Dr. Jack Howell three or four times times, but well, there'll be a reunion time. I got many times to entertain Dr. Lee Robertson and take him out to dinner, but there'll be a reunion time. Hey, I'm telling you tonight, when you get to heaven, when the rapture comes, it's going to be a great reunion time for all of us there. Paul said, together with them. Then would you notice another thing tonight? There's a certainty of the rapture. There's a celebration of the rapture. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would, please. And would you notice the suddenness of the rapture? The suddenness or the swiftness of the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 52, listen to what Paul said here. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means we're not going to all be dead. But we shall all be changed. The glorification of the body. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I mean, you, you have to just imagine your mind what's going on here. The dead in Christ are raised out of their graves and out of their tombs. Transformation is occurring at that instantaneous moment. We which are alive remain. Transformation is occurring as we're raptured up. And as this happens, notice in verse 52, it speaks about how quickly this will occur. And the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. 
The twinkling of an eye is a fraction of a second. The twinkling of an eye is faster than our blinking. You can blink right now. It's faster than our blinking. Some have said perhaps the twinkling of an eye could be one one hundredth of a second. That's fast. The twinkling of an eye, it'll happen very quickly. But notice this thought here. In 1 Thessalonians 5.2, it'll happen so quickly. Paul describes it as a thief in the night. A thief that comes in very suddenly and quickly and does their damage. They take what they want and they're gone. Notice tonight, for every born against child of God, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood for their salvation. Listen, when this happens, the dead in Christ and we specifically, we which are alive remain, we will vanish and be out of sight. We'll no longer be here. We'll be removed from this place. It'll happen very quickly. We'll vanish without a trace. Now, can you imagine with me the, what will happen, the confusion on earth when the rapture comes? Listen, saved drivers of autos, trucks, buses, Ubers, and Lyfts, they'll all be raptured and the cars will keep on going. Amen? Save teachers in classrooms who are, being, who are teaching away, they'll be taken out. Uh, save doctors and nurses performing a medical procedure will disappear. That would be kind of scary, man. Save lawyers defending a case or prosecuting a case in court, depending which side they're on. They'll be taken out. Save passengers on public transportation, airplanes, will vanish out of sight. Save husbands or wives doing house chores will vanish. People stuck in gridlock traffic, their cars will be there, but they're going to be gone, amen. They're going to be taken up. Save preachers preaching a sermon, and the saved members of the congregation will disappear right during a service. Save family members that a family get together will vanish. I mean, you put on your imagination cap, and listen, there'll be a disappearance, a vanishing. People across the board that are saved will vanish and disappear out of sight. There's a story told of a preacher not very long ago. His name was Earl Kelly, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Holly Springs, Mississippi. And he was preaching from Matthew 24, 27, which says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. As he had just quoted that verse, and he's right in the middle of preaching and just going away about the second come to the Lord, they had the chandelier light that somehow came loose off the ceiling and it came down crashing suddenly and hit the floor. Of course, if you can imagine, it was right in front of the pulpit where everybody sitting in the pews could see. It just came down crashing, glass shards shattered everywhere. No one got injured, thankfully, but glass shards shattered everywhere, just came down suddenly and everybody's kind of like, like this, they're in a shock what happened. The preacher didn't miss a beat. He was just preaching about the coming Christ, and he said this, his coming will be just as sudden and unexpected and devastating to the dreams that are not Christ-centered. I'm reminds you tonight, when, when he talks about the twinkling of an eye, it'll happen quickly. It'll happen instantaneously. There's no, there's no time to think about it. It'll be one one-hundredth of a second. It's the twinkling of an eye. Christ will take us up there. Now, listen to me for a moment. When you think about that, the, the suddenness of it, think about the ramifications to that. When the rapture occurs, and it happens so quickly, there'll be no more time to fulfill those decisions you put off. There'll be no more time to reconcile with that person you've been at odds with. There'll be no more time to say sorry for the things you did wrong. There'll be no more time to fix your marriage. There'll be no more time to say sorry to your mother and father. There'll be no more time to confess the sin that was hidden from man's view. There'll be no more time to serve the Lord. There'll be no more time to get the gospel to someone that you're burning for. There'll be no more time to do that which you promised the Lord to do. There'll be no more time to surrender to the mission field. There'll be no more time, sir, to surrender and be a preacher of the gospel. I'm saying tonight, when the suddenness of the rapture occurs, there'll be no more time to do any of that there. And then what you notice, not just the celebration and not just the certainty, not just the suddenness, what you notice is the separation at the rapture. Now, it's glorious for those of us who are saved, but it's also a time of separation. Saved and unsaved will be separated. Saved husbands will be separated from unsaved wives. 
Saved wives will be separated from unsaved husbands. Saved brothers will be separated from unsaved sisters. Saved sisters will be separated from unsaved brothers. Saved friends will be separated from unsaved friends. Saved neighbors will be separated from unsaved neighbors. Saved workers will be separated from unsaved co-workers. And we can go on and on and on. Lost, lost co-workers will be left behind. Lost spouses will be left behind. Listen, when they're left behind, they'll be left behind to go through that seven-year tribulation. If they don't go get saved that seven-year tribulation, they'll be lost for eternity. No more time to reach out to that loved one. It'll be a time of separation. I say tonight, brother and sister Christ, we must be sober. We must take into account inventory of unsaved relatives who need the gospel, who need to get saved. to be time of separation. But you notice something else. Go with me to 1 John 2.28. Thank God there's a certainty. Jesus spoke about it. There'll be a celebration. It's time of resurrection, time of rapture, time of reunion. There'll be a suddenness in the twinkle of an eye. There'll be separation. But you notice in 1 John 2.28, would you notice the surprises at the coming of the rapture? John said this, and now little children abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I'm the belief around the globe that the rapture will be a surprise for a lot of believers. There's a catch them unexpected. Catch the wrong time, wrong place, wrong person, wrong things, wrong priorities. I guess the question we have to ask ourselves tonight, how will the Lord find us when he comes? Back in the 1950s, when Dwight Eisenhower was the president of the United States, he made a visit to Denver, Colorado to visit some family friends. His wife, Mamie, was with him, and they went there to visit some friends. And while was there, some of his aides told him about a, a young boy by the name of a, a Paul Hanley, Jr., and Paul Hanley was a little boy that had been diagnosed with some kind of a cancer, and they deemed that, that the cancer was incurable at advanced stages. There was nothing they could do for him, and so the family was just trying to just do all they could to cure up the little boy and, and, and just encourage him, be a blessing. Of course, the family was saddened by this, and somehow they wrote a letter. Some, one of the family members wrote a letter and said, if there's any way the president could give him a call or, or just write him a note, that would encourage Paul so much. He admired General Eisenhower because of his uh, war, you know, because of what he did in the war, and now he was president of the United States there. And the president made a surprise visit. He told his staff, he says, now here's what I'm going to do. He went that morning, he got up, it was a Sunday morning, he got up and he went with his wife to a church service. They attended church that morning. By the way, aren't you glad for a president who attends a church service? Amen. And he went to church service and, and he told his wife, he said, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to get, we're going to get in the, we're going to get into the limousine and I'm going to have this entourage. We're going to drive over to the Hanley's household. I want to surprise them. I want to come over there and I want to vi visit their little boy. And so President Eisenhower did that and he was with his aides. They came to, they got to the Hanley household. They had the, the address and everything there. They got the door, they rang the doorbell and Coming to the door was Mr. Hanley Sr., Sr., the father. And Mr. Hanley Sr. opened the door, and he sees, he recognized me that this is the president and the Secret Service agents and, and Mrs. Eisenhower and all that. And Mr. Hanley was greatly, greatly just kind of in shock there because he was an old, dirty T-shirt. He was in some faded, torn-up blue jeans. He was just, he looked a mess. He hadn't shaved. He hadn't combed his hair. He looked like he just rolled out of bed. I mean, he was a mess, okay? And he, he got there, and he opened the door, and he said, uh, 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 he says, are you Mr. Hanley? He says, uh, yes, sir. He said, well, I'm President Dwight Eisenhower. He said, yes, sir, I recognize you. And he's about to apologize for his appearances. Hey, I came to see
see your son. I heard your son, Paul Hanley Jr., is not doing very well. Can I see your son? Well, by that time, the son had heard the voice of the president. He knew the voice. He kind of looked around and he says, president, and he kind of saluted the president. The president just went over to see him, and he picked up the little boy and hugged him, and he said, can I sit on the couch with you for a little bit? And, uh, and, and Mr. Hanley Sr. is kind of standing on the side just kind of thinking what he's trying to process all this, and the president's just ignoring that Paul Hanley Sr. was not dressed appropriately for the president's appearance, but he didn't bother him at all. And uh, he spent some time with the little boy. And then he got picked the little boy up again. And he says, sir, can I take your son out to the car? I want to just have him sit in the presidential limousine for just a minute so you can experience what it's all about. And he says, sure. And he sat inside that bulletproof limousine and sat down next to the president. He described all the functions and the controls, interests to the drivers and told him about the Secret Service agents. And the Secret Service agents showed their badges and things like that. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for a little boy that had never, it had just, this was just a dream for him. And after about 20 minutes or so, they took the little boy back inside the house and sat him there. And, and the president said, thank you very much for your time. And, and it was just a wonderful thing. Well, in that 20 minutes time, I mean, everyone in the neighborhood kind of noticed something had happened there because they saw this presidential limousine. They saw this entourage there. They saw this horde of Secret Service agents there. And everyone saw President Eisenhower. He was unmistakable. You couldn't miss President Eisenhower. And so they saw him there. And just the whole neighborhood kind of converged around that area as close as they could to look up at that. And then the president got back in his limousine. He got back in. The driver got back his car. The entourage went on. Secret Service agents were in their place. The entourage went on. They disappeared out of there. The the whole area was buzzing about President Eisenhower's appearance. They're just talking, saying things that, can you imagine the president came to our little neighborhood? Can you imagine the president came to the Hanley household? But as they talked about it, someone invited Paul Hanley Sr. to come into the conversation. And this is all he could say. Listen to this. This is all Paul Hanley could say. He said, think of it. Think of it. The president of the United States was here in my house, on my street near my house. And here I am without my hair combed unshaven, wearing a grubby t-shirt and this pair of old faded jeans. That's all he said for the whole day. Can you imagine? The President of the United States came to my house. He appeared here in person, walked into my home, actually carried my son and here am I, the man of the house. I'm here, my hair uncombed, I'm unshaven, I'm in a grubby t-shirt and this pair of old faded jeans. This man was ashamed that he wasn't ready for the coming of the President. Hey, can I ask you tonight, how am I going to feel that way when Jesus comes? My little children, he was speaking to immature believers when he said that. Some of us need to grow up. We need to start growing in the Lord. Amen. My little children, these things I speak unto you. My little children, he said. Abide in him. Then when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be shamed before him at his coming. We see life in his closing. The Lord in his coming, as we close tonight, notice verse 18. He gave us all that. And he said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. As we close tonight, would you notice the Lord and his comfort? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, there's comfort. We're going to, there's a reunion in heaven, amen? The rapture's coming. It's called the blessed hope. It's the word of God. We're going to be changed. We're going to put off the suffering and put on bodies that are immortal. Notice tonight we're comforted to know that we will see our loved ones in heaven. Notice tonight we're comforted to know that we will be forever with the Lord. Notice we are comforted to know God's word can be trusted. Notice we can, we can be assured tonight as we find this here, we can be comforted by the fact that is the big day for every believer. That is the big day, the big day when the Lord comes for us to take us up into his presence. Years ago, there's a story told of a, um, a little fishing village. 
And uh, one of the fishing vessels went out that day and was gone for many days. And some storms came in. Of course, they didn't have all the advanced radio equipment and stuff that we have today. And so a lot of the wives, of the, because this, the, the whole community basically was dependent upon the fishing industry to take care of them for, you know, commercial fishing, things like that. And so there's a lot of apprehension, a lot of fears to their safety. They're coming back and whole. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, the secondary to that was just that they'd have a very successful fishing endeavor there. But they were concerned. They hadn't heard from them for a long time. And the day came when they, they, they were getting closer to shore. They were a few miles out. And the, the captain of the vessel, as, he, as they saw that, he got all the sailors and all the men that was on his ship to gather together. He said, guys, I want you to come to the front of the, of the ship there. And he got out his long periscope, and he was starting to look and view land. He could see land, and they're coming up close. And, you know, those men had been away for a long time. And all those married men, they'd missed their wives. Of course, their wives missed them. And they missed their wives and their families. They were looking forward to getting back home because they'd been out at sea for a long period of time. And they had roughed the waters and roughed the weather. And they had a good catch, but, you know, and it was a little bit dangerous and perilous for them. But they're coming back in hole, and the weather was very conducive for them to come back. And the old captain was there, and he had the periscope out there like this, and he was looking out there and looking there, and he said, he said, hey, guys, I want to cheer you up. He said, I, I'm going to tell you who I see there wait, waiting on shore for you there. He said, Bill, I see your wife, Mary. He said, Tom, I see your wife, Margaret. He said, David, I see your wife, Anne. He went on and went on with that. Well, there's one sailor that was there as the, as, as the captain was making out all the wives there. He, this one sailor recognized that the captain didn't mention his wife, and he was a little bit concerned about that. As he got closer to closer to shore, he thought, well, maybe, maybe she's just hiding somewhere there. But as he got closer to shore, he recognized he started scanning the, the shoreline, and he didn't see his wife there at all there too. And so as they disembarked and got off the ship, you know, men that saw their wives, they embraced each other and saw their kids, they embraced each other. But this one man, he didn't see his wife there, and so he just kind of bypassed everything everybody else, and he hurriedly made his way out of that, 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 that port area, and as he made his way out of the port area, he hurriedly ran down the street, up several streets, and they had to go up a hill, up on top of a hill where his house was, and he made his way up there, and as he got to the house, he opened the door, and his wife turned around, she knew the other, thump, 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 that was her husband, and she turned around, she says, oh, you're home, it's so good to see you, she says, I've been waiting for you, and she embraced him, and he embraced her, but he was a little bit, little, little bit just taken aback by it, and he said, honey, I know you've been waiting for me, but this is what he said, I knew you've been waiting for for me, but the other men's wives were watching for them. And I say tonight, as the bride of Jesus Christ, thank God we're waiting for Jesus, but if we follow the biblical admonition, we're to be looking for Jesus, looking for the blessed hope, looking for the blessed hope. Paul said, henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Listen, we need to be looking for Jesus. Don't, don't, don't be, get your eyes fixated on things too long in this world. Thank God we're waiting for him, and we are anticipating the rapture. But more than anticipation, we're to be looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready for the big day? Are you ready for Jesus to come for the church? Are you ready for him to take you home? Are you ready to be reunited with Christ? Are you ready to live for him? Are you ready to do all that you can before Jesus comes? I say tonight, when the big day comes, will you be ready?